You're listening to Inspirational Perspective with Linnell Harris. Inspirational Perspective is all about murdering mediocrity and living the best life possible. Are you living the best life possible? You can subscribe to the Inspirational Perspective blog at www.inspirationalperspective.com. Follow Linnell on social media. Go to Facebook and like the Facebook page, Inspirational Perspective. You can also follow Linnell on Twitter and Instagram at the handle Linnell Harris. In this recording, Linnell continues his series on the information age. In this second part, Linnell asks his radio audience, are you benefiting from this era? Are you taking the time to acquire the knowledge you really need? Let's join the conversation. Tonight, putting in work, inspirational perspective. And uh, the topic is... It's the information age part two. So last week we got into this a little bit and I wanted to keep with the same topic. The questions for tonight are, are you benefiting from this era and this era being the information age? And then the second question, of course, almost the same, but some word change. Are you taking the time to acquire the knowledge you really need? Now, the wordplay from last week is last week I said the information, said the information. And I was thinking about this over the week and I said, you know, well, people can sit back and say, well, you know, there's a lot of information out there, Linnell. How do I know what information I need? All right. But you change the word to knowledge. And now, you know, it's applicable all the way around because, you know, I need to have the proper knowledge to move what I'm moving forward, which could be very different from someone else's knowledge. So now let's get more specific. So are you taking the time to acquire the knowledge that you really need? So tonight, I'm really interested in what you all think are the main reasons we lack information and knowledge in what is named the information era. You know, the Internet has connected us. I said this last week, globalization has given us access to other people, other cultures, all over the world in ways that we didn't have that access. User manuals and user guides are only one click away, and yet we still don't use them. Uh, most of us nowadays are carrying around some smartphone that we probably only get, you know, maybe 30 to 40 percent of its true potential <laughs> out of it. Now, there's some people who really know how to use these devices. Not too long ago, somebody showed me a video of a a music video where the whole video was shot with an iPhone and it it was hot. I mean, it wasn't, you know, uh, it didn't look like uh, somebody's backyard garage type video. It was, you know, it was, it looked like it was um, done very well with a production team. So here's somebody who has figured out in some ways how to take that device. They've acquired the knowledge to completely tap into the full potential of their iPhone. I mean, so that's just an example. Right. But when we you know, I'll talk a little bit more about user manuals and user guides and how they're they're one click away. They pack them in uh, in the boxes of the things that we buy and we still don't use them. (laughs) And it's it's the same way for everything else. Right. A lot of the problems that we have, be it financial, be it medical, be it, you know, whatever it is, we're no longer we no longer have to be effect of not having information. We could really be at cause, but for some reason, we don't take that approach. And so my question is, why? Why? Why not? And so we're more connected than we've ever been. 
And so why is it that we seem so disconnected from the information we need? So the topic tonight is the information age part two. How are you benefiting from this era? And are you taking the time to acquire the knowledge that you really need? That's what we're talking about. And I got Steve right here from the from the Gold Coast. Steve, how are you, man? Fine, thank you. Uh, I wanted to make a couple of points, if I might. Uh, on the one hand, I think you're absolutely correct. I think we have more access to more information than ever before. Um, I'm in my mid-40s, and I remember a time when if you wanted to do research, whether you were in high school, college, or graduate school, I mean, you needed to haul yourself down to a library. Mm-hmm. And you needed to manually research book after book after book, and hopefully you could find what you needed to write what you needed or to get the information you wanted. Now, today, that's a click away. And, uh, and even uh, assuming that you need to pay for it in some cases, it's still a click away. Now, here's where I think there, it becomes a little bit problematic in terms of quality, because mm-hmm. there was a time in this, in this country where access to information had what was called gatekeepers. Right. These are persons who have some authoritative background. In other words, they're not going to put up a, a piece of work that's going to tell you that uh, somebody's contention that the world is flat mm-hmm. is on an equal footing as the contention that the world is spherical. So, in other words, they, they, they were the ones deciding that, you know, this is nonsense and we're going to regard it as nonsense. Unfortunately, the Internet doesn't make those distinctions. And for a lot of people, I think that it's the source of, of great information. Unfortunately, it's also a source of some really nonsensical ideas that are offered up by people who really have no credibility in the field, no training, no education. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they don't understand that there's a difference between, you know, study produced at Harvard University by such and such a professional, researchers and scholars, peer-reviewed and so forth, versus Joe's blog, mm-hmm. you know, that's done in somebody's basement. Right. You know, and, and he wants to offer that up as a source of material. And if I had a dime, I, as a researcher and scholar myself, if I had a dime for every time someone came along to tell me, oh, no, you know you need to know this and this and this. And I'm like, where did you get this nonsense? <laughs> and, you know, I don't come up with this sort of thing. Yeah. And you have to explain to them the difference between information and authoritative information. And if I might to people, you know, if I get in a cab, you know, tomorrow afternoon and I have a pain in my chest, you know, the cab driver might be able to offer me opinion, but that's different than the head of cardiothoracic surgery at Northwestern University with regard to the pain in my chest. One is an authority on the subject and topic. The other one is not. It's just an opinion. And right. unfortunately, the Internet isn't making those distinctions. And, and on another note... So, Steve, you know, before, I, before you switch to another note, so what advice would you offer up to individuals who are listening and they're saying, okay, you know what? I want to go ahead and begin to brave the Internet. You know, so I'm, I'm having this show. There's access to information. Um, what advice would you provide them in ensuring they don't fall into some of these, uh, these holes? Well, I would advise, if you aren't necessarily, I'm not asking everyone to become a scholar overnight, mm-hmm. but you know, there, there does exist a way by which you can discriminate in terms of source material. So when you log on to the Internet, you know, look for major publications, the, the Wall Street Journal, uh, the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, you know, if you're looking for mm-hmm. uh, newspapers, they tend to be somewhat credible. It's not to say that they're right 100% of the time, but that is different, again, than some fly-by-night, you know, newspaper that's published online, you know, by some guy, again, who's living in his basement. 
Right. You know, so I, I would say that. And then secondly, look for scholarly works. Look for mm-hmm. look for things that are reinforced. If you find one piece of material that says one thing and one thing alone, and you can't find it supported anywhere else, chances are that that's a pretty much a, a left a far out out left center position. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's credible. So do not just simply think because there is this tendency in this country and in society to think that. In the same way that once, if it was in a book, it must be true. Now, if it's on the Internet, it must be true. No, just uh, just as there was bad uh, publication when we read from books, there's a lot of bad things on the Internet, and even more so because, again, no one's there to guard against it. I can start up a, a web page tomorrow, and I can declare all sorts of the most ridiculous things as being true. That doesn't make them true just because I wrote them, and you can find them on my blog. Or on my website. All so, right. Again, be, be discerning, be disseminating, and but also, and like at this, you know, uh, you're absolutely correct with regard to the way in which technology has also disconnected people. I was out to dinner uh, here just earlier. I live on the Gold Coast. We were out outside. It was a beautiful evening, mm-hmm. and the number of people who are around us who are in who are out to dinner together yet are on their cell phones texting uh, and talking to other people. Uh-huh. I mean it is it is mind boggling the way that people have come together to basically say we are not going to engage with each other. We're going to engage with people who are not here with us. Yeah. Well we're here. I mean it's it's it does boggle the mind. I do not understand why anyone would we have the need to text hundreds of times a day. People who have conversations, hour long texting conversations. I have nieces and nephews that do this. Well, you know, Steve, I'll I'll offer you up something that actually I read on the Internet, but it was it was a reputable source. And uh, there's actually some research being done. And so this may tickle your fancy. um, But there is an opinion beginning to surface that some of this technology is terribly addictive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 the, and the last point I wanted to make was, you know, I still have yet, because someone could chime in on this, because, again, I'm of that generation that I, I, I do text, I admit that there, it serves a purpose, but I do not understand for the life of me why people have hour-long texting conversations if they can have an actual <laughs> conversation. You know, I mean, how, how does that serve your interest? You know, I know that there are instances when people text because, you know, they're in a meeting and perhaps, you know, they're bored of the speaker or whatnot. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a legitimate reason, I suppose. But the notion that I could have talked to you, mm-hmm. you're not doing anything that keeps you from talking, I'm not doing anything that keeps me from talking, yet we're texting back and forth for an hour and a half, and that's our interaction. Why not pick up the phone and dial the person? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't understand this. But, well, you know, I, I'll give you a perspective on it. And this has a little bit to do with probably um, different generations, right? So I'm, an, I'm a Gen Xer. Um, it sounds like you may be, too. Um, but with millennials and the generations behind them, when you look at the type of environment that they're growing up in, right? An environment where uh, when a person says something that you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean as much as if it's written down, and there's there's a lot of Steve uh, background uh, noise in the back there, Steve. So I'm gonna let you go in and answer this, man. Okay. But there's a propensity within these generations to prefer text messaging and text message conversations because then I have proof, I have documentation on what we spoke about. So if you said you would meet me on Friday and you don't, I have actual words that said that you said that in a text message. But if we had a conversation on the phone and you said, hey, I'll meet you on Friday, then there's an opportunity for misinterpretation. 
And so in one of the, uh, I can't remember uh, where I, I actually read this, and I've actually seen it a number of times, and it's part of some studying that I'm doing currently on millennials, but uh, part of the tendency to lean towards texting is because texting offers a different type of validity to a conversation versus if I talk to you. There's no way that you can deny something that you typed. You know, for the most part, you know, the writings there is black and white. You said you would be there Friday and you stood me up and I can actually forward you the text message and prove you wrong. So hopefully that that helps you out, Steve, why some people prefer texting versus uh, live conversation. Um, and it's a, it's an interesting phenomenon. Um, it's, it's very different. Being an Xer, I prefer to pick up the phone if we're going to go on and on for a while, especially because at some point I might get in the car and none of us should be texting and driving, right? <laughs> All right, Tommy, man, how you doing, brother? I just wanted to just say, you know, information is only good if you use it, Doc. Mm-hmm. You know, That's true. I, I mean, and for a person of color to have one of the most powerful tools uh, on earth uh, is known as the search engines and stuff and that you can you can Google how long we've been in the mess that we've been mm-hmm. we've been in. And I, I got I got an excellent one for you. Google Klan uh, arresting the Klan and see what you come up with. And you know what you're going to come up with, Linnell? No results. And what am I? What am I googling? The uh, clan arresting the clan. Clan arresting the clan. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, bro, you say knowledge is power, right? Yep. Yep. So we, we we're not fixing to get into all of the the current events and all of mm-hmm. that stuff, but. You know, I think it is appropriate and important that the Internet is basically based upon your mentality, okay? I mean, if you're really looking for information, you can find it. Yep. But if, you, if you're really not you're looking for information, you can find it. And I think the social media thing has really messed up the minds of a generation that feels that the thing to do is just go on social media rather than come out of their homes and houses and stuff and do what is necessary uh, in this country. So I just wanted to say hey to you, man, and tell you how much I uh, look forward to uh, hearing you. All right. Thanks a lot, Tommy. Appreciate that, man. I always appreciate those type of phone calls, and in particular, Tommy, I'm always supporting, man. I appreciate it. And and let me uh, tell you a little bit why, one, listeners who are listening now should keep listening over the next few weeks, and and why I believe we don't act on knowledge. All right? So I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but since you brought it up, I'll at least give the answer. And the answer is the reason why we don't act on knowledge that we have is because of fear. Yep. Now, you know, one word answer, fear. It's I got a whole lot more for you than that. I'm going to link it together for you. I'm going to show you piece by piece why that's true. And how do I know it's true? Because I can look at my own life (laughs) and see the evidence of having knowledge and not doing what the knowledge says you should do. Because typically you have to step outside of your comfort zone just because I know something outside of my sphere or my realm of influence doesn't mean that I'm going to act on it because that means I have to step outside of my comfort zone. As soon as I begin to step outside of my comfort zone, that inflicts all types of uh, uh, physiological responses, sweating, nausea, 
And you may not even be around anybody else. Now, I've talked about this before. I remember the first time I was published on my very first blog, I was sweating profusely. Just me, the computer, and my office in my home. I had this knowledge. I was afraid to act on it. So it was simply fear. We'll get into that. I, I got a whole lot about that. And uh, so eventually I will be talking about how fear has a lot to do with our inability to act on knowledge. It's one of the reasons and just to kind of add, it's one of the reasons why you have leaders who go get leadership development and then they leave the leadership development course and don't change their behavior because they it's one uh, habits are hard to break. But two, they're afraid that what if it doesn't work and this has been working. And so often we put off being great at leadership because we're already good. And so it's really pushing the comfort zone, you know, stepping outside of that zone and doing what we can do. It's a great question, though, Tommy. And there's more there. Hey, great calls. Great calls to um, start off the show. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about the propensity we have to kind of dump user guides or user manuals. And so I want to ask this question first. What's your relationship with user guides and instruction manuals? Like, what's your relationship? And think about that, because more than likely, your relationship with these type of tools is your relationship to new information. Because if you won't take the time to completely understand a bright, shiny toy, right, when you first get it, if you don't have the patience to say, before I turn this on, let me open up this book and see if there's something I may be missing, then more than likely, you're probably not utilizing a high percentage of the knowledge that you currently have. There's just a correlation. And again, remember, I'm an ontological coach, so I'm not just tossing something out there that I don't have any evidence of. I work with different people all the time. Hey, some millionaires, some executives, others, personalities that some of you all know. And this theme always, you know, rears its head. Okay. So, you know, the question you're probably asking is, well, who understands the manual anyway? Why would I want to read that? You know, but the question is, do you read them? And if you're anything like me, because I'll be honest, I don't always read them myself. You get excited about your new toys and, you know, that user user manual is typically tossed to the side. I can remember doing it just last week. I bought a, an external hard drive, took the thing out the box, plugged it into the computer, start to format it and thought to myself, oh, man, what if I shouldn't have formatted this first? <laughs> Open up the manual. Turned out I was OK, but I was sweating because I'm like, I just I might have just thrown a hundred some bucks out the window if I had, you know, I should have read the manual. So this is a habit we have. And it's not just not just uh, you all. It's me, too. I'm guilty, too. And so. I have a couple of examples of how this hurts. Right. I can remember back in the day. One of my buddies, we did all this real estate investment and we were, you know, we did a lot of the work ourselves and ourselves and, and we were putting up a garage door and uh, we were rushing. We were rushing to put up this garage door in the, on this building so we can move on. And uh, we had all the pieces of the garage door. We started to assemble them. And halfway through, I said, hey, man, should we should we read the instructions? He said, oh, man, that's, by the time we read the instructions, we'll be done. And so, you know, we had we had done these things before we finished putting the garage door together. It looked good. We stand it up. We start to put it on the hinges. And for some reason, it is not fitting right. We look at each other, say, well, the door looks like it's right. Everything looks fine. Went to the manual, had it upside down. 
I mean, we assembled it upside down. It wasn't just turning it over. We assembled the whole thing upside down. The panel that was supposed to be at the top was at the bottom and so on and so forth. So anyway, <laughs> sometimes we think we're actually saving ourselves time when in the long run, we may be creating more work by not simply gathering the information we need first. I see this all the time in people's finances. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, and Steve helped us out, right? He said, make sure you're looking at a reputable source. And when it comes to finance, there's a lot of reputable sources out there. I mean, Forbes.com is, is fairly open. You don't even have to subscribe to get some valuable information. And I can keep going down the, the line, Financial Times and, and different ones. They will tell you what you need to know. But typically, it's the same way we look at user manuals, right? Instead of learning about my money, I'm just going to use it. And so what, what ends up happening is we use our finances to what? 30, 40 percent of its potential. <laughs> and, you know, we lose the rest. Ugh. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, it sounds real common sense what I'm saying when I break it down like that. And hopefully, you, you know, you all can see the behaviors. And, I, and I'm guilty of this, too. I'm not perfect. I'm telling you, there's a whole lot more that I need to learn about, you know, the things I do every day. But when do we start? One more example. <laughs> One more example of how this, this shows up, you know. So a few months ago, walked into a friend's house and they had installed this brand new state-of-the-art home theater system. I mean, it was it's nice. And so throughout the evening, I noticed them walking up to the system every time they want to change a song, right? Now, those of you who live in 2014, know that a banging stereo system, you shouldn't have to get up and walk to. I mean, you just, you shouldn't. So eventually I got curious and I asked, hey man, you know, why don't you control your stereo system with your iPhone? <laughs> and so my friend looked back at me and said, you can do that? And, you know, so I said, well, yeah, you can do that. Did you look at the user manual? And, you know, you can basically insert a blank stare, right? Like, no, they set it up, they didn't look at the user manual, and they just kept moving. And check this out. Within two minutes, I had connected both of the phones that they had to the stereo system, and they were extremely delighted. Now, if I hadn't been in their home, <laughs> they would have been using a multi, you know, few thousand dollar piece of equipment to only, what, 20, 30 percent of its use? And then I may have added another 5 percent. What else aren't they doing? Why spend that kind of money on a tool that you're not going to use to its full capacity? You know, where is this showing up for you in your life? You know, that's an example with the stereo system. I think there's probably examples all over the place. So this got me to wondering, you know, how often do we make large investments but miss many of the benefits of those investments? And I'm not just talking about financial investments. I'm talking about cars. I'm talking about houses. I'm talking about the things that we, we really put our blood, sweat, and tears in. And then on the other side, we're not learning or gathering the information that we need to really take full advantage of it. So that's one question. How about this? How much time, comfort, and money have we wasted? simply because we refuse to take the time to educate ourselves on our current options. So mind you, 
often we're running around trying to figure out what else can we do when we might have access to an option right in front of us. But because we haven't invested the time, we're too comfortable. We we don't do it. We don't educate ourselves to fully use the tools we have in front of us. And again, like I said, I'm guilty of this, too. So I'm, I'm preaching to myself. And I'll tell you, I believe this happens to us more than we would like to admit. It happens to all of us. So how do we begin to limit this? When was the last time you read a user manual for a large purchase or investment that you made? Maybe that's the first place we start. And check this out. One of the most important investments you can make is in yourself. So do you have a user manual for your life? You know, is there something that you're using to live your life or are you winging it? Are you kind of getting up every day and just doing what you do and you're just winging it? You know, because it may be time to read life's instruction manual. You know, there's some some amazing wisdom about living life in the pages of many books. (laughs) You know, some of us may choose religious scripture. You know, others may choose academic journals. You know, I'm not going to get into what you choose, but regardless of your choice, are you reading and comprehending and learning something about how to better live a fulfilled life every day? I mean, that's the biggest investment you have. And if the answer is no, then you probably aren't doing it much anywhere else. And so no wonder some of us are living lives that, you know, we're not that thrilled about. No wonder, you know, the cliche life is hard feels so true for so many of us. You know, we aren't taking the time to educate ourselves on our current options in regards to the life we live. (laughs) Funny how we all wonder why we struggle at this thing called life when the answers to that struggle lie vividly in front of us often. And you might say, well, Linnell, what's the answer? The answer is our own behavior. So do you, do you understand why you behave the way you behave? Are you clear on how that behavior is hurting you? You know, have you documented it out? I don't behave the way I should behave all the time. And I'm clear on it. And it's a, it's a task to try to behave the way I would like to behave, to behave the way of the man who has uh, a purpose to live, who's clear on his purpose. How do I behave myself parallel to my purpose? Because I don't always do it. I don't always step up as a leader the way I should. I'll put it out there. A lot of us don't. So how do we begin to behave that way? I would say the first is becoming aware of the fact that the behavior isn't there first and then seeking to change. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe had a quote and he said, behavior is the mirror in which everyone shows their image. And so you might be saying that you're a leader and your title might actually say it. But if your behavior is not becoming of a leader, then, you know, that mirror is showing off your behavior for everyone to see. What do you think about that? Again, last week I said it. Human beings are built to seek out frauds. We see you. (laughs) You know, don't think you can fool a lot of people who are looking for fakes. I mean, we walk around with that radar on. We know you're faking it. 
you know, some stuff popped up on the Internet this week. Somebody might be faking it. I ain't calling no names, but people know when you're faking it. Hey, so what's your behavior telling you about your self-development and education? What is it telling you? Because you might have the intention to develop yourself. You might have the intention to educate yourself. But if your behavior isn't running parallel, if it isn't congruent with that, then there's an adjustment that needs to be made. But first, you have to be aware. So what I'm simply saying tonight is it might be time we all spent more time looking at our user guides and instruction manuals. You don't even have to go to the Internet, huh? (laughs) Just what we have, what we got already. And I would say especially the manuals that help us live life. (laughs) Keep those manuals close. Esther, how are you? I'm fair, thank you. You said something about uh, somebody was outed about not being truthful or something to that effect? No, I just, what, I, what I'm saying is, as human beings, we always look for fakes. We're always looking for a fake. And, uh, what for I, a what? For a fake. A fake. F-A-K-E. Oh, for something uh, malingering, lying, or something like that? Yeah. yeah we, I mean, as human beings, we're typically, we, our radar is set to uh, determine if someone is being fraud- fraudulent. I mean, whether it's a, a cashier or whether it's uh, someone we encounter in the parking lot or whether it's a, f- a person who says they're a friend, whether it's, uh, you know, an individual we work with. Typically, we have uh, this built in radar. That's and I a, think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always running. And so what I was saying is that often when we, we think we're fooling people, right, we think that nobody sees us. We're kind of like the emperor <laughs> with, uh, no with his new clothes. Yeah, yeah, basically, no clothes. Right. You're seen. And so instead of trying to, you know, fake us out, why don't you just shift your behavior? Right. You know, Steve said something about uh, you should follow reputable sources. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you, did you hear that Edgewater Hospital was closed in 2001 because they were doing unnecessary angioplasties and two patients were killed during the procedure? No, I didn't. That was uh, reported by Raida, Monica Raida, of February 24th of 2014 in another radio station. And, and you know about Sacred Heart Hospital, which was closed in 2013 because of unnecessary tracheostomies and five patients were killed there. So just because you think that someone is reputable doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's so. And there are three pages of hospitals closed in Chicago, but there's no reasoning given, you know, beside mm-hmm. them. So I wonder if they killed or harmed permanently a lot of people. And there's an article about lies in, entitled Lies in the Doctor-Patient Relationship, mm-hmm. where I read it, and it seems to me, from what I read, that patients lie about 30% of the time, but the doctors lie between 50 and 94% of the time. Wow. And if you want to find out about, you know, maybe the doctor's uh, mental health, it would seem to me like something is going on because there's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has an article that says facts about physician depression and suicide. And it says that in the United States yearly, roughly 300 to 400 physicians die by suicide. Mm. And that it's not decreasing. 
And depression is a major risk factor in physician suicide. So other factors include bipolar disorders and alcohol and substance abuse. Mm -hmm. There is also a book written by an anesthesiologist by the name of Ethan Bryson entitled Five Key Signs Your Health Care Professional May Be Drugged or Impaired, or, or Five Ways. Something, something to that effect. I'm pretty sure if you look under Ethan Bryson, and it says about three to five percent of all healthcare professionals uh, across the professions uh, use uh, drugs, and mm -hmm. uh, he tells about which ones they prefer. So just because somebody says they're a doctor and is working in some place, I think one better, you know, ask questions and maybe get two or three opinions. <laughs> yeah. Because well, you know, very I, I would say thanks so much for that, Esther. I appreciate the phone call. I would I would say, you know, so Esther is right. And in, in my mind, that runs parallel to what Steve was saying is, you know, he was saying, hey, watch out for, you know, these uh, fraudulent fake, you know, blogs or people posting information that's not necessarily true. But what I'm hearing you say, Esther, is that, hey, you know, even if you see doctor next to the name, even if you see a professional who has credentials, until you see this published multiple times, or, you know, for instance, if they're saying you're sick or you need a surgery, anything like that, you should get multiple opinions. And I would say, yep, that's absolutely true. This episode of Inspirational Perspective was recorded at the Midway Broadcasting Corporation in Chicago, Illinois, on WVON 1690 AM, The Talk of Chicago. Thank you for listening. Go to the Inspirational Perspective Facebook page and like the page. Follow Linnell Harris on social media at the handle Linnell Harris. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with that handle. Text INSPIRED to 43783 to receive free inspirational quotes and updates.